Isn't it nice to have a Texan here with us? And her son is up in the running sound today. So, awesome. All right, guys. I am very, very excited about this morning. If the pastor's not excited, no one else is going to be excited. Here's what else we've known. Just because the pastor's excited does not mean anybody else is going to be excited. So we'll see. Can we stand to our feet? <clears throat> Ruth chapter 4, 13 through 17. So Boaz took Ruth and became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he, he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray today that you would reveal your kindness and your tenderness towards human beings, even human beings when they're doing things that would make us think that they least deserve to be loved. Lord, reveal your unconditional love to our hearts today, I pray. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I've titled the message, Our Guardian Redeemer. The guardian redeemer, it was actually a legal term in Leviticus 25. There were actually rules about it. It was a close relative who God invited to help those in desperate need in his own family to be a guardian redeemer, to step in in a place of tremendous difficulty. In our story, we're going to see that Boaz was the guardian redeemer for Naomi and for Ruth. But we've been talking ever since we started the story that that each one of these lower stories, although they happen in history, they foreshadow a greater story, a, a bigger plan. And um, the, 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 the foreshadowing in this book is so amazing because... Jesus is our guardian redeemer that Boaz foreshadows. Boaz is the ancestor of David, but not just of David. 28 generations after David, he is the ancestor of of Jesus, the one that is the guardian redeemer. And we're going to see this all the way through um, this book. So here we go. Point one is why we need a guardian redeemer. So here's Naomi's story. 
Naomi is married to Elimelech. They have two sons. They're living in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. And what happens is there's a famine in the land and there's no bread in Bethlehem. The very place that is called the house of bread, there is no bread. So her husband takes her and her two sons to another land, to the land of Moab. Now this is a problem. The way God established in the Old Testament holiness with his people is they needed to be separate from other peoples. They needed to not interact with other people. That in their time of need, in their time of desperation, they were to cry out to him. They were in no case where they supposed to attach themselves to other people, especially the Moabites. In Numbers, we have the story of the Moabites and Balak had tried to get Balaam to curse them, and um, he, he wouldn't curse them, but he gave them advice. He gave Balak advice. He says, yeah, I can't put a curse on them, but you can, here's how you can get a curse on them. And he gave them this strategy of the Moabite women going and seducing the men of Israel. And they did that, and it worked, and judgment came on Israel, and uh, Moab became sworn enemies to the point that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, God had made this decree. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. So for them to go, for Elimelech to take his family to live in Moab is is defiance. This is in the days of the judges. This is right alongside, last week we talked about judges. All it says at the beginning of this book is this was in the days of the judges, in the days where everybody did what was right in his own sight. And so they leave the protection of God in defiance. And Elimelech, sometime after that, dies. Then... Naomi gives her two sons in marriage to Moabite women. The very very cause of Israel's defeat. And 10 years go past and then the two sons die. And now she is all alone with her two Moabite daughter-in-laws. One is named Orpah and one is named Ruth. Something happens in Naomi at this time where she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. My name is not Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me Naomi anymore because the Lord has forsaken me. I came to this land full. I'm going to leave empty. Call me Mara, which means bitter because, because my life is now bitter. Have you ever been there? We've heard many testimonies this year. And oftentimes, it starts out in church. It starts out people going to church, but not finding bread in church. Going to church, going to the place where there's supposed to be bread, supposed to be life, and somehow not finding it. 
and then going off on your own into the world, going off on your own to find your own sustenance. And oftentimes life beating us up and us experiencing tremendous pain in this world. And as we live with pain, it changes how we even view ourselves. And oftentimes we we take on this edge of bitterness, this edge of anger, this edge of sorrow that kind of gets linked even to our identity. And sometimes that's what it takes for us to see our need for a redeemer. Here's Ruth's story. So her husband dies, and uh, so she's now a widow. Her mother-in-law is a widow, and in that day, there are no prospects for a widow. And Ruth or Naomi is going back to Israel, and she turns to her daughter-in-laws, and she says, you guys have been amazing daughter-in-laws. I love you. Uh, she hugs them. She's like, you do not want to be with me. I'm, my name is bitter now. I, I have no prospects. You need to go back to your own home, your own father's home, and you can, you can get another husband. I'm not going to have more sons to give you. You, you should go back. And, and so they both insist they don't want to, but she says, no, really, this is the smart thing to do. So Orpah says goodbye with tears in her eyes. Orpah goes off. And Ruth says this, probably one of the greatest statements in scripture of loyalty. Here's what she says. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If even death separates you and me. Friends, there was a tug on Ruth's heart from God. The the very God that Naomi says, God has abandoned me. God has forsaken me. There is a tug going on in Ruth's heart. She knows the right thing to do is to go back with Naomi. It's not not the smart thing. It's the right thing. Have you ever, ever, has there ever been a difference in your life from what would be the smart thing to do in the world's eyes? And, and, you know, just use your head. Common sense says do this. But you know the right thing is something else? You don't know why it's right. You just know this is the right thing. It's the drawing of the Lord. And so she comes back because her Redeemer, at this time, she doesn't know it, is drawing her. Point two is the kindness of the guardian Redeemer. So they get back. Here they are, two widows in the land of Israel. They, they find out there's bread again in, in Israel and that the famine is over. So they go back and, and uh, Naomi takes Ruth and she, she tells her to go glean in someone's field. There is a rule that God has set up in his law. I'm going to read it to you. It's from Deuteronomy 24. 17 through 22. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, 
and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I command you to do this. Did you know that God cares for those that are in desperate circumstances? Did you know that those who human beings tend to get uncomfortable around because they're in such great need, they're so angry or bitter or, or, or poor or sorrowful that we don't know what to do and it makes us very uncomfortable because we can't help them. Did you know the very people that we draw back from, God gets drawn to? Amen. He sets up specific commands to take care of people that are in desperate need so she goes out and she she gleans in a field she unknowingly starts gleaning in a field that is owned by Boaz Boaz is an older man he's a man of God and he hears the story of Ruth coming back the Moabite coming back and something touches his heart about her Possibly this. Boaz's mom is Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab w- wasn't part of Israel originally. She was part of Jericho. And she, she's the foreigner that herself attached herself to the people of Israel. So he has grown up kind of with a, with a mom that's, or a dad that's an Israelite, but a mom that's this foreigner prostitute that just kind of got accepted in. We can only imagine what he experienced growing up, but he's got a heart for Ruth. He's got, his heart is moved by her. And so he finds out that she is gleaning in his field, and he says this to her. My daughter, this is 2.13, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars, the men have filled. I, I have taken your protection in my own hands. I know you're a Moabite. I know you're a vulnerable young woman and bad things can happen to you. I am your protector. You go ahead and stay here. I'm going to make sure that no one touches you. I've given orders to my men. And then in verses 15 and 16, it says, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Make it, make it easy for her. I, I want her life that's already very difficult easier. Just pull out some and just leave them. Make it really easy. And he says twice, don't reprimand her. Don't treat her harshly. 
Did you know that God is kind? There's no one more kind in the universe than God. They call Jesus the friend of sinners. God says in Romans 2.4 that it is his, his patience and his kindness that lead us to repentance. They, they just win us over. They make us want to leave our sin and follow him as we experience his kindness. I want to tell you about the first time I experienced the presence of God. I didn't really fit in high school. I didn't, I didn't fit with the athletes. I wasn't cool enough. I wasn't good enough. I, I didn't fit in with the drug addicts because I, 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 that wasn't my lifestyle. But, you, you know, you, you have to have friends. And so I, I attached myself to a group of friends that were like semi-athletes and semi-drug addicts. <laughs> They were, they were just kind of right, they were just right there, and they, I, I was never cool, but they let me hang around with them. And, uh, and we got into, uh, I mean, they were, they were beyond where I was, but it was a lifestyle of drinking and doing crazy things, and that was just what you did. And um, we, I lived in Milton, it's about 35 miles south of Madison, and I had, I'm, I'm in high school, and I don't know that I had ever been to Madison, and we were on a, what we called them road trips, drinking and driving, it was horrible. We went on a road trip to Madison, and, and I don't know exactly how it happened, but I was abandoned in Madison. Me and one of the guy's girlfriends were, were left in Madison. I don't know if it was just the drinking and they forgot us. I don't know if he was mad at his girlfriend and this is a payment and I just was, happened to be along. Or frankly, it could easily have just been, this is funny. Let's just leave them. We did anything, anything that was funny. It could be justified. But I'm in Madison with somebody else's girlfriend. <laughs> it is midnight. I am drunk. We're in a really, really tight situation. I wish I could say that the first time I experienced God's presence was in a church service because I grew up in church. I never experienced God's presence in church. I don't know why. But there I am. I am just about to freak out. And this warm presence starts at the top of my head and just goes all the way over me. And I said to this girl, I said, I, I don't know why I know this, but I know that we're going to be all right. And we put a thumb up, and within five minutes, this guy came. Did you know that God can, can command other people to be nice to you? Do you, you know that God can just tell people, I want you to do something for me? This guy picks us up, and he, it was like he was sent. He drives us to the door of where we need to go that's 40 miles away. It's just absolutely amazing. The time that I least 
deserved God. Doing my own thing, hanging out with the wrong people, breaking the law in more than one way, underage, driving and drinking, horrible. And God reveals his kindness to me. The kindness of God. Not just to Christians, not to just his children, to those who don't know him, to those who who aren't even looking for him. He is kind beyond all measure. Point three, the rules of a guardian, of the guardian redeemer. Kinsman Redeemer. Guys, for the second service, that should be Guardian Redeemer. I, I was originally calling him the Kinsman Redeemer because one translation, but second service, it's, it's Guardian Redeemer. So let me give you some of the rules. The Lord blessed him. This is Ruth 2.20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not, not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, this man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. So when she hears the story that that Boaz has told Ruth, don't glean in any other field. Go ahead and you just, you stay in this field. She is, she is saying, this is his kindness to my husband. This is his kindness to my family line. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. He is one of our guardian redeemers, that, that legal title. He is, it's possibly that he could be one of the ones that redeems us. And, 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 and it has to be a, there's a couple rules. One, it has to be a close relative. It has to be somebody that you are related to. And then we find out the other rule later. Ruth goes to him on Naomi's instructions and offers herself and to, to, to be the bride. And we'll talk about that later. But she says... I want you to be my guardian redeemer. And he says this to her. I am willing to be your guardian redeemer, but there's someone else that's first in line. I have to talk to him first. And we learn something about the guardian redeemer. Even though God has instituted this to help close relatives, part of the rules of the guardian redeemer is you don't have to. You can. God even wants you to. But the rules state this. You don't have to. If you don't want to redeem, you, you take your sandal off and you give it to him and, it's, it, and you become the unsandaled family. But you do not have to redeem. Boaz foreshadows Jesus Jesus is our guardian redeemer. He had to take on flesh. He had to become our close relative. He took on flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God had to become flesh to be our redeemer. He had to become flesh 
to die for our sins because we had sinned and to redeem us, he had to become one of us so that he could take on the sin and the judgment that we deserved. But it was very important to God the Father because the the point of all of this is love. It's God's love for people. God ordained that Jesus didn't have to. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. God gave a command from eternity. You don't have to go. You don't have to lay your life down. I want you to. I've set up, there's no way for them to be redeemed except that you do it. But my command is this. I will not take your life from you. You have to lay it down. You have to decide to be the kinsman redeemer. When the Roman soldiers came to take away Jesus, they, Peter reaches out and takes the, the, a sword and cuts off the, uh, one of the servant's ears. And Jesus, first he heals the ear, praise God. And then he says to Peter, Peter, All I would have to do is say one word and there'd be 12 legions of angels here. This is, this is the authority I have from the Father. Do you know there's 5,000 in a legion? So 12, 12 legions, that's, that's 60,000 angels. I could say one, this is the authority that I have from heaven. At any point, one word to the Father and there's 60,000 angels here. Peter, I don't need your sword. Peter, the Romans are not taking me. I'm giving my life. I'm giving my life. This is part of being our guardian redeemer. And then finally, the marriage of the guardian redeemer. Ruth chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Oh, let, me, let me set it up for you. So Naomi says, here's how you do it. <laughs> you... <laughs> You, you go to the barn where he sleeps because it's the middle of harvest. He's sleeping in the barn. You, you go to the barn where he sleeps, wait until he's already fed and drunk and gone to sleep, and then sneak in and lay down at his feet and uncover the garment he's got on his feet. We got this garment here as our graphic. Take that garment and fold it back and, and just go to sleep there. And when he wakes up, you say these words. Take your, oh, I'll just read it to you. Here we go. Who are you, he asks. He wakes up. There's a woman at his feet in the middle of the night. 
Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the young men, whether rich or poor. Take your garment and spread it over me. I want you to redeem me. The word, the word garment in Hebrew is the same word for wing. He had said this to her earlier when she was gleaning in the field in, in uh, 2.12. She said, he said, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. May he bless you. May he reward you. Under his wings, you have sought to take refuge. And now she's saying to the, her, her guardian redeemer, stretch your wing over me. I'm not just taking refuge in the God of Israel. I need to take refuge in your wing. Spread your wing over me. This touches his heart. You could have run after the young man. You could have done anything. But you have sought, you have willingly put yourself in a place of vulnerability and asked me to redeem you. And he's, he's moved. <laughs> He says, I will redeem you. I got to go to this other guy first. And when, when Ruth goes back to tell Naomi, he, he, she says, listen, he will do this right away. He will not do anything else. He will do this. This is in his heart to do. Guys, I don't think we understand how we affect God when we let him redeem us. This is why God sent Jesus to be our refuge so that we could find refuge under his wing, in his sacrifice, in his love, that we would be hidden, we would be covered, we would be protected in him. Did you know there's a longing in the heart of God? It's hard for us to grasp that God could have a longing. How can, how can God, who's happy eternally in himself, have a longing? A longing that we can actually meet, that we can actually fulfill in him. Listen to what Luke 13, 34 says. This is Jesus. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And yet you were not willing. Do you know there's a longing in the heart of God to gather you, to save you, to protect you, to love you? Did you know that when we stubbornly refuse to ask, stubbornly refuse to allow God to love us and redeem us and help us, it grieves him. It hurts him. And it's funny. He's talking to the Pharisees. You know, what you know what they're taking refuge in? Religion. Their own religion. That's why they won't come to Jesus because they've got their own 
performance that they're taking refuge in. And this longing has gone unmet. I had a, I had a very powerful experience on New Year's Eve morning. We were down in Kansas City. If you were at the women's brunch, please forgive me, you've heard this story. Bears repeating. It's, it's the morning of New Year's Eve. I am, I've finished my reading time. I've got my cup of coffee. I'm coming down to the hot tub. We're at one thing. We're at, the, we're at a hotel before the one thing conference. It's the last day of the conference. And there are two women in the hot tub. One is named Nikki. She's probably, I don't know, 45, 48. And the other is Lindsay. She's 31. And we're chatting. They're going to. The, they're at the conference too, and it's they're just wonderful women. And we get chatting about things. And I hear Lindsay's story, and she gave me permission to share it. By the way, she she's a college professor in Iowa, and single, career woman. And I asked her. I said, "Do you are you single by choice? I mean, is this your calling to be single, or or?" Or what's going on? And, and she says, uh, she says, well, I just, she says, I don't know if I can love in that way. She says, when I was a teenager, my parents almost got divorced and, and that was very traumatic. And then I've had a couple relationships that were borderline abusive. And I just, I just don't know if I can love in that way. And I said, well, would, would you mind if I prayed for you? She said, no, go ahead. Close my eyes and I start praying for Lindsay and I have a, I have a vision of a man knocking on a door, but it's extremely gentle, the, the knock. And I just opened my eyes. I said, I said, it's not about you not being able to love in that way. The problem that you're, that, that the real issue is you are questioning whether you're able to allow somebody to love you in that way. And she just starts weeping. It's, it's like bullseye. I said, this, there's a man coming, but he's going to knock so gently that if you don't respond, he's going to go away because God is going to reveal his gentleness through this man and you're going to have to be willing to be loved. It's not flirting. You're just going to have to encourage him. You're going to have to encourage him. You can love me. And you've, you've got to open the door. You've got to open the door because he's going to come so gently that he'll go away. She's just this very, she's just really good at doing things and getting stuff done, but not so good at relationships, not so good at being loved. And so I share that, and that's really a blessing. They're talking, this is a divine appointment, da-da-da. And they're like, can we pray for you? I'm like, sure, go ahead and pray for me. And Nikki prays for me. And, or I, I gave them what to pray for. I said, I'm, I'm doing this conference or this day called Women at the Well. It's for our women's brunch. And I just, 
you know, a lot of women are coming. I just want to, I want to have the word of the Lord. And so Lindsay prays for me. And when Lindsay prays for me, I see that what's happened in the hot tub is what's going to happen at the women's brunch. That I'm sharing about the woman at the well. And I, I see the whole thing differently. That this is Jesus gently knocking on the door of a woman that has been very, very hurt. When he meets this woman at the well who, who's a Samaritan, she asks him, how is it you being a Jew and me being a Samaritan, how is it that you, that you ask me for a drink? And he says this to her, if you knew who I was and you knew what the gift of God was, you would, you would ask and I, I would give you a drink. She is, she is speaking to the one that is the gift of God. He is the guardian redeemer of the human race. He came for her. But he doesn't force himself. He just gently says, if you knew, you would ask. And, and then... The conversation goes on and Jesus says, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again. But if anyone drinks the water I give him, it will spring up in them to be a well, a well for eternal life. It is the water that you're looking for. She says, sir, give me this water. Give me this water. Just a second. One more thing has to happen. Go call your husband. It's very important because of the shame that is built up in her life that she own in honesty where she's been. Jesus doesn't make her own it. He just says, go call your husband. She says this, I'm not living with my husband. Fact is, I've been married five times. And the man I'm living with no, she says, I'm not living with your husband. And he says, you're right. You're not living with your husband. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. The guy you're living with now is not your husband. You have spoken truthfully. Do you see what he's doing? He's not condemning her. He's gently knocking. So that morning of the women's brunch, Jesus wanted love on women. Many, many, many who didn't know how to be loved. Life had been hard. Life had been broke them. They had been through all kinds of pain. Maybe not five marriages and now you're living with somebody, but all kinds of life happens that is harsh and it's hard. And you know what happens? We learn to protect ourselves. And Jesus came in gentleness, said, I'm not here to be harsh. I'm here to heal. Open the, open the door. Open the door. Let me heal you. Let me love you. Let me save you. So this morning is communion.
Here's what communion is. In a Jewish wedding, if there was enough money, it went like this. The father of the bride and the groom-to-be would decide on what the price was going to be that he would pay for the bride. After they had set the price, the groom-to-be would meet with the bride-to-be and they would share a cup of wine together for the betrothal. And that cup of wine, first he would drink and then she would drink. And that was a covenant agreement that said two things. One, I will pay the price that your father has demanded. And secondly, there was a promise in it. I will return and make you my bride. And then he would go away. He would go away. He'd go back to the father's house. He'd make the wedding chamber and he would make the place where him and his bride, his family would live. And as soon as the father determined that it was ready, he would say, now go and get your bride. And this is just how they had it set up in that culture. Once again, it's a foreshadow. There was a three-week period in which they could come anytime, night or day. Their favorite time to come was at night and surprise them. And the rules were, when they got to the edge of the city, they would send a man in front that would give the shout, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. And the wedding party, who for three weeks had to go to bed every night in their wedding clothes, because he could come at night, he could come at any time, would rise up, they would light their lamps, and they would come out into the street, and everybody that had a lit lamp got picked up, picked up because they were part of the wedding party. Jesus and the Father arranged the price for you and me. And that was his blood, his own life. At the Last Supper, he's sharing the cup and he said, this is the new covenant. If I go, I will come again and take you to myself. So I'm going to have all of our server. Actually, guys, come on down here if you want to. We're going to have a prayer before we pass it out. If we could have every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in. You need a savior. You need a guardian redeemer, we all do. He is the healer. He doesn't care what sin you've done or what shame you've been in or what's been done to you. It doesn't matter. He longs to save you. It's why he came. But just like there is a command of God that he didn't have to, so there is a command to the human race that you don't have to be saved. You don't have to be redeemed. You don't have to allow God to love you. 
But if today you want to open that door, this is how you get ready. This is how you get wedding clothes on, by accepting Jesus, by letting him save you. So if that's you, I want want you to get ready for communion. Just pray this prayer. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Lord, I open up my heart by faith. Come in and save me. Come in and wash me. Come in and love me. I want to meet the longing in your heart. Take me under your wing. Cover me with your wing. And let me my whole life find refuge in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have an open communion here. As long as you've accepted Christ, maybe you just did it, you are welcome to partake with us. We're gonna, what we do ask is that everybody would wait until everyone's served and then we'll take it together. Let's just continue worship.